Hi, and welcome to this episode of I've Got This Kid. I'm your host, Sharina Williams, licensed speech and language pathologist, mom of two, homeschooler, and excited podcasting host here with you today. So I just want to let you guys know how excited I am about the support you guys have been giving me, the comments, the outpours of just positive reinforcement on the information that has been delivered thus far. And words can't describe how excited I am to be a part of your child's growth, learning, development, and play. And most importantly, getting you guys together on the same page. That's what we're here for, is to answer your questions and to just make things better within the home. So I also want to put a plug out there that we are not only on Apple Podcasts now, but we're also on iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Stitcher. And, you know, that's all because of you guys. So keep spreading the word, keep listening in, keep sending in those questions, and I will keep answering them as long as you keep sending them. So let me tell you, I've said for the last two, now three episodes that I am a licensed speech and language pathologist. And you guys don't know, I've been doing this for a decade and it is hilarious to see people's reaction when I say I'm a speech and language pathologist, because most of the time they have no clue what that is, like none. (laughs) So they assume uh, that based on the first word, speech means that I help people with just their speech sounds and and that's about it and they kind of dismiss the other things because pathologists, I don't know, people usually think of dying or disease. Um, so, <laughs> so it's funny. And I'm going to clear all that up today of what a speech and language pathologist is, what we do, what we cover, and what my subspecialty is. And for the record, yes, we do work with speech sounds. So it's not a cliche. And people who do think that they're on the right track. The other people that know us too are the people who've seen us as a child or as an adult or who's had um, an adult family member or somebody along the way who has come to us. So let's get this started. First things first, speech and language pathologists can see anyone from birth to death. I kid you not, we see every age, every population, as long as you have something that's going on with your speech, your language, your thinking, your swallowing, you're going to come and see us. We do that and um, it'll make uh, it'll make more sense in five minutes. So let me just unpackage this a little bit. Let's start with the word speech. Speech sounds that come out of your mouth are transmitted by the thought that comes into your brain. And it's the sound that you want to make out loud. So your breath from your stomach gives you the ability to turn that air into sound. And that sound is shaped into a combination with your articulators. Your articulators are your lips, your tongue your teeth, your hard palate, your soft palate, and your jawline. So whenever something occurs that prohibits sounds from coming out of your mouth that turns into words for the person that you're speaking to, we treat that. So you might hear words like articulation, phonology, apraxia, voice, stuttering, or motor programming disorders. That's all associated with speech. Again, the sounds that come out of your mouth that are formulated in your brain and fine-tuned with your articulators. Uh, language. We cover language. Language comes in two, but technically three parts. Expressive language. Those are the words, your vocabulary, the stuff that comes out of your mouth, not the way that it's shaped by the sounds, but the actual words. Cat, dog, house, metamorphosis, words. 
receptive language is the stuff that you understand, the stuff that other people says to you or the stuff that you read, how your brain takes it in and how you then respond to that. And so um, don't get that confused with selective listening. (laughs) Selective listening and receptive language are two different things. Selective listening is when somebody understands exactly what you're saying and choose to ignore you. But receptive language is the stuff that you really do understand and you respond to. And the third part of that is the pragmatic piece. And that's the social piece. Pragmatics is a fancy word for social language. It's how you use your language to get along with the world around you. It's picking up on the social cues and the stuff that's appropriate um, and inappropriate. And your brain filters out what's okay culturally. Uh, It's doing this constantly and it's fine tuning to different places and events. So, for example, if, if, if you're in a movie theater and you're talking really loud on your phone, that's not pragmatically appropriate, i.e. socially appropriate. So that's what pragmatics is. We work with the brain. We cover problem solving. We cover cognition. That's your thinking skills, your reasoning, how you take information and come to a conclusion about it. And we have a pretty good understanding about how the brain works because we have to understand how it works so we can understand why things break down, how things are breaking down and what will play out based on if an area of the brain is impacted. So we we understand the brain. And I know that that sounds really, really heady. But if you think of it like this, you have a car or you've seen a car. I'm hoping in your lifetime you've seen a car. And in that car, you have under the hood this whole system with a ton of parts. And there's a motor and a transmission and an engine and There's windshield wiper fluid. There's all of these things that's housed under the hood of that car. Think of that like your brain. And so if one part malfunctions, then you take it to the mechanic and you have them fix it. So you could think of speech pathologists in that way as we kind of fix what goes on or we attempt to fix or help or remediate what goes on to get things rolling smoothly again. And uh, the last thing that we cover, and, and I hesitate to say this because <laughs> for me in grad school, this was the scariest thing for me to cover. I kid you not, because it's the one time speech pathologists can really hurt somebody if we make, misdiagnose. And that's swallowing. So swallowing, we do deal with swallowing and we look at individuals who get food from hand to mouth. We share that with our sister field, occupational therapy. But we also look at the swallowing mechanism. So once that food goes down your throat, we want to make sure that it's going to the right place. And if it's not going to the right place, we help build up those swallowing muscles. A lot of people don't know that, again, unless they've seen us for some reason. So don't put us in a box because we see everything and everybody for just about every reason. And we're housed Everywhere we can be in hospitals, we can be in nursing facilities, schools, private practices. Some therapists specialize in different areas. Some will specialize in voice. Some will specialize in swallowing. Some will specialize in um, language. Others will specialize in uh, speech sound disorders. Or there's people like me who subspecialize in early intervention, but I see everything and everybody. So. And that's with the early intervention population. So it doesn't matter what diagnosis or disease comes to me. I see it 
And I love it because it keeps me on my toes and it doesn't put me in a box to where I only have to know a certain aspect of the field. I have to know everything at all times. In order to be a good clinician, you have to be well-knowledged and well-versed. And by seeing multiple diseases and diagnosis and how they present themselves in different ways and different people, it makes you a stronger clinician. Um, I've stuck with early intervention as well because I love little ones. They're the cutest little things. And I'm telling you, even if they do something wrong and they're dead wrong, you still love them <laughs> because they're little. And not only that, I love um, helping parents really bond with their little ones who have had difficulties with communication or who've had these significant medical backgrounds and all these things that happen so fast in in such a little amount of time. I'm there to really help bridge that gap. And and it's fun because I get to do it in a way without being judgmental or criticizing and just kind of, you know, reshaping the way that families are doing things just to make things a little bit better. I've seen people come into my office completely hopeless about their child's situation. And within a few months, things turn around just because we've tweaked some stuff in their system. And it's so rewarding. So I am the master at making people (laughs) or encouraging people. I'll say encouraging people to do what they don't regularly want to do because they don't feel like they're good at it. And little ones and adults, too, who are not good at communication tend to shy away from it for various reasons. Everybody shies away for the most part from the things that they don't feel like they're great at. And so it's my job to create avenues to build up their confidence just so they can give it another shot. So I am the ultimate queen of looking at the big picture to get everyone in place to get them where they need to be while also looking at the other stuff that we talked about with the speech and the language and the swallowing. And so that's why I'm here to answer your questions to make things a little bit better. So that moves us along into today's topic, i.e. question. I got a question from Anonymous and it was pretty short and pretty basic, but it's such a big topic. And it is, my three-year-old is not talking. What should I do? If you have children or you know some children and you know toddlers, then you know by three, they should pretty much have a good, strong vocabulary and be able to communicate some thoughts and ideas to you. And so we're going to unpack this today. And so how we're going to unpack this is by talking about some expected milestones and some factors that could be contributing to the little one not talking or to your little one not talking. And what can you do? So I don't want you to feel like I'm criticizing you or why didn't you get them help sooner? Because this is a real thing and it happens. And a lot of times people, parents that is, feel ashamed or they feel like their child will eventually come around. And there's all kinds of other different reasons why parents don't seek help. So listeners out there, do not criticize if you see a little one who's not using that much language. Don't criticize the parent. Just give them a gentle nudge and um, and a gentle nudge with love to see if you can help get them on the right track to get their little one some help. So I thank you for sending in this question and let's get into it. So expected milestones. We expect that our little ones by 18 months have at least a good 10 words. 
And the reason why we put it at around 10 words, some may have more, some may have a few less. You got to think of it like this. For the last 18 months, that little one has been looking at you and your family and observing you guys and everything that you guys do. And they've created this this symbol system in their mind because language is a symbol system. No matter what language you use, English, French, Spanish, ASL, it's a symbol system. So they've learned symbols that pertain to their environment, like baba for bottle, mama for mama, cracker for cracker, cup or cu for cup, dada, bye-bye. All of those really simple, basic things, they've, they've been taking all that good stuff in. And so we expect them to start giving that stuff labels, which is why they go from the babbling, ba 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 ma 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 pa 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 and they're working those articulators, those those lips, those tongue, the tongue, teeth, hard palate and soft palate to finally execute words. And so once they start practicing, really practicing, all of a sudden that babble and all of that time you spent talking to your little one, it turns into a word. And then once they know that you understand that word and you've communicated back to them, then they're going to try again and they're going to say another word and then it builds from there. So again, 10 words at least by 18 months. And then from there, they should start getting at least a good five plus words, new words each week and not words they just imitate once and never use again but words that they're using with you throughout the day. Eventually, those single words will turn into phrases. By the time they get to about 50 words, you're going to start hearing some phrases. I want, mama go, daddy buy, car go, look, plane. Anything that they see that's in their environment and have seen over and over and over again, maybe it's a favorite character, Elmo TV, Something along those lines, they're going to start communicating that with you because they either want something, need something, or want to show you something. Two years old is that time where they are so excited about you becoming a part of their world and they want you to know about everything in their world, which is why their language starts to expand so much. And so that's what we expect. So by two, we really expect to see those five to seven words. We expect to see those phrases. Uh, 18 months, we want to see at least 10 words because again, that's when the, the snowball starts to get bigger for them. And that's where that expressive language or vocabulary starts to build up. I hope you guys are following me and this is not too heavy. All right. I'm going to try to make it as light as possible and as fun as possible. All right. So let's also talk about some factors that can contribute to your little one not talking. Let me tell you, I am one of 10 and I am the second to the youngest. And It is insane because not only do I have a bunch of siblings, I also have the privilege of having a bunch of cousins who were raised like siblings. And there were a lot of them, too. And so us little ones would have to learn early on how to advocate for ourselves and and really be loud and really be stern about our feelings. Or else, let me tell you, you get lost in the crowd, you get lost in the shuffle and it's it's pretty much over. Like, don't expect to get a word in edgewise. Don't expect to make any kind of decision for yourself. Like, it's pretty much a dictatorship. It's over. And so some things that can contribute to that. One of the things that I've learned is that if your little one is a younger sibling, 
God bless the older siblings because they are so helpful, but they can also (laughs) be a little bit hazardous because they anticipate, they know the little ones, kids, no kids. Older kids definitely know younger kids because they're all kids and they speak kid language and they have this whole kid code thing going on. But then the older siblings also kind of want to be the parent and talk for the little one. And the little one sometimes just goes along with it and doesn't try to build up the language. They don't try to build up the language. And it's not that they're not capable. It's just that being that younger sibling and having all of those older ones around can definitely hamper that ability for them to build up their own voice, their own vocabulary and their own skills. Take it from me. I know it. I had to be real loud and proud. I still do sometimes. They still try to bully me. It's really a sad thing. I have to remind them I'm really grown, but they don't they don't accept that. They don't respect me, but it's fine. (laughs) I love them anyway. (laughs) Okay, so the next thing is speech intelligibility. That sounds a lot bigger than what it is. That simply means that when the words are coming out of your mouth, Can the people understand you? Can they understand what you're saying? Can they understand the words? If you're saying cat, does it sound like cat or does it sound like cat or does it sound like ah or something along those lines? Most people are not looking for words to sound like a part of a word. And it can easily be overlooked at this age where these little ones are still building up their ability to produce speech sounds. These words can be overlooked because people just don't know to look for part words. Parents don't know. It doesn't make them a bad person. It just means that they didn't know to look for a word that's a part of a word. Um, you'll hear a lot of like ba for bottle, do for go, especially when they're refining it. And so I encourage you, parents, as you start to listen and observe, see if your little one is doing that. And if they are, Don't say it back the way that they're saying it. If they say do for go, say, oh, you meant go and keep it moving because their brain is going to fine tune that. Um, The next thing that can definitely be a factor is their level of motivation. And this can tie into the sibling factor, but this can also be that maybe your child is not extremely motivated to talk, to communicate, especially if the speech sounds like if their speech is coming out and their words are coming out and nobody's understanding them, then it becomes a lot less motivating. Can you imagine if you talk or made an attempt to talk to somebody, your peer or whomever is around you and they don't understand what you're saying and every day you go to them and talk on countless occasions and they don't understand you? How often would you try? So sometimes that can kind of kill their motivation or if they've decided to use behaviors like whining or pointing or pulling or mom and dad and siblings anticipating everything without giving them the chance to communicate with you. So you have to be really, really careful with that. Even if you know what your little one wants, you have to give them the chance to use their words to express what they want and what they need and not to let others around speak for them and let them advocate for themselves. The other thing about behavior as well is that if a child is a sluggish speaker and they're just kind of taking their time and as the parent, you're responding to the whining and the pulling and the pointing, because let's be honest, nobody really wants to hear that. And it's easier to just give them what they want. And it is easier on the front end. It is. 
No lie. It's easier on the front end to just give in to the whining to just make it stop. Right. (laughs) But on the back end, it can become a problem when trying to build their vocabulary and their skills. And that's those pre-academic skills that we want to build for when it's time for them to go to kindergarten. So we don't want to give in to that. We really want to encourage them to use your words, not your whining or your pointing or your pulling. And if you just give them those three that, you know, that little phrase, use your words, it goes a long way. If they do try to use whining or pointing or pulling to communicate with you, it's okay for you to say, I don't understand you. You have to use your words. And that will put them in a position to where they have to use their words. Now, if they fall out on the floor and start crying and whining and screaming and, you know, doing the whole thing, that's a little bit of manipulation. I would encourage you to walk away. Yep. Just go the other way. That way you don't get mad. And then you don't have to give in to that. And then you guys can try all over again. And it's okay As long as they're safe, make sure they're safe. The other point is family history. Sometimes it is really common for people to come into the office and I'll ask them, is there any family history of speech and language delays? And they might say no to the immediate family. And then I'll say, well, okay, well, let's think about cousins and aunts and uncles. And at least 50 percent of the time, somebody in the family has had a speech and language delay. So sometimes it's just The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And that's okay because most of the time this stuff is treatable. And then there's other existing medical conditions. Sometimes children have a little bit more going on and they were either born with something. Sometimes children have a tongue tie and need to get that checked out by an ENT. Usually SLPs refer and pediatricians refer as well if, if they check that out. A lot of times, though, Nobody's really looking for that unless it's really, really bad. But other medical conditions can also play a part in that. I'm not going to go through the list or else we'll be here all day. But that could definitely be a factor. So I would talk to my primary care physician about it and pray that they're taking you really, really seriously. And if you don't feel like they're taking you seriously, then you might need to turn them into a friend and find another pediatrician who's willing to help you out um, or go to ASHA and That's the American Speech and Hearing Association, and they have a list of local providers in the area. So what can you do? There's a lot that parents can do. Sometimes parents don't know the power that they have as a parent just because they don't know what to do. But I'm going to help you with that. So you're okay. Just start observing how your child communicates and don't try to like structure some special time Just do it naturally while you guys are in the car, while you guys are watching TV. Look at how your child is requesting. Look at how they're communicating with their siblings, with their classroom peers. If they're at a preschool or a daycare, look at what they're doing. Just kind of peek in and see how they're communicating with the people around them. Do you see them using their body or do you see them using their words? Um, Does speaking look like it's hard, like their wheels are kind of turning and they're really trying to get it out and put things together? Or are they trying and people aren't understanding them? So I would start there and observe how they communicate, because then that'll get you on the right path to help them out. And then when you're communicating with them, try using the three second rule. I am a firm believer in the three second rule. I even use the three second rule for my kids and my husband because I talk too much and I talk too fast and I'm aware of that. 
So I'll say something and I'll count in my head and then wait for a response. They're used to it, so I don't have to do it as much anymore, but just trying to become not a great communicator, also a great listener. I had to learn how to slow down and listen and not be so anxious for a response that I don't give them a chance to respond or I'm putting my anxiety off on them to the point of where they don't want to respond to me. So next time you communicate with your little one, give them three seconds. Don't rush through five questions before giving them a chance to answer the first. If after the three seconds, you still don't get a response and you feel like, gosh, they're still not responding to me, ask again. And then after you give them that second three seconds, try to ask the question in a different way using less words. So instead, like, for example, if you say, do you want to go outside to the park and play? No response. Try. Let's go to the park. See how they respond. Do you want to go to the park? See what they do. If they are a younger sibling, then you'll have to explain to the older siblings if they're doing, and this is if they're doing a lot of the talking for them, to let them talk for themselves and encourage the older siblings. Like, I love that you're extremely nurturing and that you really want to help um, your, your sibling with their language, but I really would like you to let them explain themselves and let them talk for themselves because you have your words and I want them to have just as many words as you do and to be able to advocate for themselves just like you're able to. And a lot of times, if you put an older sibling on a mission, they're all for it. Now, if your little one is talking and you just don't understand them, try writing down the words that you know what they're saying. The words that you know, write them down, not the word itself and how it's supposed to sound. Write it down the way that they say it, right? This is magical. This opens up all kinds of doors because if you pick up on how they're using speech, then from there, you can pick up on other words because you understand maybe the end of the sound is being dropped off. So instead of for hat, you're hearing ha. Or if you're hearing do for go, then you know like, oh, wait, they're using a D for that G. It might not make it right, but at least you can understand them in the meantime. And that way you can pick up on more of the words they're using and how they're using them. And that way, if you do need to seek out the support of a speech and language pathologist, then you can say to them, I've even written this language sample. This is what they're saying and this is how they're saying it. And that makes our lives so much better. Like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing parent. They're proactive and they know what's going on. So I can really get in there and help them. And I know I mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention this again. If you've tried these things, once you try these things, give it a a week or two, identify which one resonates with your situation If you feel like this is beyond my scope and I need some help beyond this, go to your pediatrician and let them know what's going on and ask them for an SLP referral. And nowadays, pediatricians are being trained up to no longer go along with the wait and see approach, which means we'll wait until they get to kindergarten and see if they talk by then. Usually they want to see little ones have a few words by 18 months as well. Like they're pretty much trained to know that by 18 months, 
two years old at the latest, the little one should have a pretty firm vocabulary and should be building up more words and they will make that referral for you. So I encourage you to go to your pediatrician and get a referral. You can also go to ASHA and I've mentioned the American Speech and Hearing Association before and find a local SLP or speech and language pathologist. They have it all located by state and they will be a great tool to you. And I always hear as well, what are the best ways to observe how my little one is communicating? And I I believe I touched on this as well. Do it during natural activities. It's kind of (laughs) like if someone ask you to do something on the spot and they record you. It doesn't come out quite as natural as if you were just kind of naturally going along with the normal routine and, and doing things. You want kids to be in the most comfortable position so they can, so you can get a, a really good view on how they're communicating. You want to be able to build up the most information and the most data about how they're communicating with the world around them or how they're not communicating. Do they get a little bit reluctant to speak if you talk first? Do you notice that they like to initiate the communication? Do you notice they like to use their body to communicate? What is it that you're noticing while they're communicating or when they're trying to communicate? Do you notice that they're trying to wait for you or they wait for you to anticipate their needs? What is it that they're doing? Do you notice they'll speak to kids more so than they will to adults or vice versa? They like to speak to adults more than they like to speak to kids. And you can just observe and pick all that information up. You can also pick up on who they communicate with. For example, if they like to communicate with people who talk a lot or do they like to communicate with people who are a little bit more reserved and relaxed? That'll give you a lot of information about what they need as well, because usually a more relaxed person who's communicating is a lot less anxious and not trying to force them, force information out of them and force them in a position to where they feel like I have to speak, I have to speak, I have to speak. And it creates unwanted anxiety. And again, this is for a little one who's not speaking. Three-year-olds by three, they know that they're not communicating. They've observed enough in the last 36 months to know that they're not doing what their same age peers are doing. So they already know. You don't have to tell them. You don't have to let on that you do or don't know because they already know on their own. So I would pick up on the kind of communicators they kind of gravitate towards and let that kind of guide the way that you communicate with them. So I'm hoping that that was helpful. If you do have a little one who is not communicating and they don't have at least 18, excuse me, 10 words by 18 months and are picking up that five to seven new words that they're using every week, then you really want to reach out to your pediatrician and seek some support just to make sure. We don't want to wait and see and find out a few years down the line that this was something that we could have totally undone, right? So here are my tips of the day for you guys. Learn how your child communicates. If you learn how your child communicates, the more you know about how they communicate, the better it kind of positions you to communicate with them and how to approach them when trying to communicate with them. And it also helps you help others along to kind of dictate how you guys interact and communicate. You want to think about and observe reasons why your child might not be communicating. And remember, the best way to do this is just by observing them 
naturally. And it doesn't take a ton of time. It just takes some intention on looking at them in different places, whether it be the park, the preschool, at home, during mealtime, with their peers, with their siblings. Just see how they go about engaging with this world. Are they doing a good job relating to the people that are around them? Or are they kind of struggling or just trying to get along? Or are they able to get people to do the things that they want them to do so they can get along without really having to communicate? Verbally, that is. (laughs) And know that you have the power to create opportunities to facilitate language. And that just simply means you have the power to increase their language by setting up good opportunities for them to communicate with you. So that could be anywhere, at any time, in any place. You just need to know what you're looking for and go for it. There's there's nothing holding you back from building up those language skills, not their imitation skills. Don't confuse those. Those are not the same. Them being great imitators are, is not the same thing as your kiddo being a good communicator with you. So you want to make sure that uh, those two areas are being distinguished. And last, I can't stress this more than enough. Get help, get help, get help. If you notice that your little one is not communicating the way that they're supposed to, or you're in community with a family whose little one is not communicating the way that you see same age peers communicating, with love, it's okay to say something. Don't be offensive. Please don't offend anybody. Your kid's not talking. That's not the greatest approach about things. But maybe just nudging them and giving them the I noticed. They probably have. They may not have. Either way it goes, you have the power to to voice that and get help from a licensed speech and language pathologist if you do notice that your child is not communicating. Talk to your pediatrician. They are great tools. They are a great asset to help you out. Also, thank you so much for those who listen to an SLP who, because now you guys know what we do and why I'm here to help serve you guys. And I'm hoping that all of this stuff is helpful for you and your little one. And don't hesitate to send in your questions. There's no such thing as a silly question, more so an unanswered question. So email us at questions at I've got this kid.com or you can submit your questions through our new Instagram page at I underscore got underscore this underscore kid. <laughs> kid you not. I didn't set it up. My husband did. And that's what it is, but it's okay. (laughs) We'd love to hear from you. He's giving me the stinky face. (laughs) Then with just a few tweaks every day, you too can maximize your child's speech, language, and play skills. Are you ready for the challenge to step into amazing play? Take care, everybody. Until next time.